1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
2: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
0: On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the
1: touchdown!
0: That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press, man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.
2: What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to access at gmail.com. Just want to say thanks for tagging along today, making us part of your work day, whether you're out there on the grind or even just, you know, chilling at home. Um, appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to the pod. And what we're going to do today is cover the uh, the defensive line room. We're going to kind of break down the contractual, contractual aspect of the Green Bay Packers defensive linemen. When I say defensive line, you know, sometimes you kind of put Rashawn Gary and and uh Kingsley Inibare and and Preston Smith into that that group as well. I personally don't. When you run a 34 defense, you know, technically you've got defensive linemen and then you've got edge defenders, right? or uh, outside linebackers, quote-unquote, it cracks me up. I I wish they would just change that terminology to edge defender because that's essentially what it is, an edge rusher, right? Uh, Someone who's going to play the edge, whether it's in the nickel or your base. You know, if you're in a 43 base, you're going to have two edge defenders, right? If you're in a 34 base, you're going to have two edge defenders um, at that outside linebacker position as well. Sometimes they may play under or over, meaning one will drop into coverage, but essentially you've got someone who down in and down out is prepared willing and able to rush the quarterback, right? So you've got the edge defenders and you've got the interior defensive linemen, which can comprise of what we call quote unquote defensive ends. But Again, when it comes to the 34 base, you're looking for big-body defensive linemen, and you've got your edge defenders that can play, um, you know, that uh, that outside linebacker role and, and be able to drop in coverage like we've seen with Dom Capers' defense way back in the day with the Green Bay Packers, um, how they would run fires on blitzes, right? You don't see that as much today, although you've seen Preston Smith in coverage many times, right? That's nine times out of ten uh, the byproduct of the other offense, you know, the other team, the offense coming out with, say, a, a base look like a 21 personnel or a 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, or two running backs, one tight end, which triggers the 34 base, and then they'll spread it out. They may have uh, may have it completely empty, but they may just have one person in the backfield. That's when you see Preston Smith have to slide out in the coverage from time to time. You didn't see Gary do it much when he was healthy because Gary is kind of that elite edge rusher, in my opinion. So what we're going to do is kind of break everything down and talk about the defensive line room okay we're going to talk about everybody's cap hit we're going to talk about kenny clark's contract and how there's some restructure capability there and then we're going to talk about uh you know the most sensible restructure so far what we're doing guys is kind of laying a blueprint out And i'm trying to get all these positions in before aaron Rodgers' decision which will probably come probably next week there's a good chance next week it may carry all the way over to early march um, who knows but we know definitely what i'm going to make a decision before um, the Super Bowl was played, right? So you probably won't hear it today. I know Pat McAfee and the boys are over on a Super Bowl row, right, uh, the, the media days or whatever the week, and they'll probably have Aaron call in. I believe Aaron confirmed he wasn't going to go there, so he'll probably just be calling in. And when he does, um, I don't think you're going to get a decision today. I don't think there's any chance. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about less than 1% chance that he would give a decision today because he said he didn't want to take shine away from the Super Bowl, which – you you guys know I think that's pretty cool that that a player wants to go that route and uh, and not make it about him or make it bigger than the most important game of the year right where we're going to be crowning a new a new Super Bowl champion. So with that being said, what we're going to do is we're going to break down the defensive line room. I'm going to talk about where I felt like the biggest issue was. And then we're going to kind of talk about the future. Which direction do we go in, right? Because we've got a lot of money tied up in the defensive line room, uh, really, and it's top-heavy, uh, just like we've seen with the offensive line. You know, David Bakhtiari with that huge contract. Um, Kenny Clark's got the huge contract in the defensive line room, right? Um, luckily, we don't have that at the wide receiver. We don't have that at tight end. You've got it in the running back room. Aaron Jones has got the majority, the bulk of the money right there at the top, right? Ideally, this is how. this isn't how I would want to build a football team. I would much rather have a team full of good players than uh, a team with a few great players and a whole bunch of average players, right? And I'm not suggesting that the entire team is average. I'm not saying that, right? Um, I'm just simply stating the fact that other organizations build teams differently. The New England Patriots are big on it, right? And, and you guys probably get tired of hearing me talk about the Patriots, but, man, I just studied that organization so close because they had success for so long. They didn't have very many top-heavy players. Contracts And immediately you're probably thinking, oh, they had Randy Moss. What are you talking about? They had Tom Brady. Tom Brady played for significantly less, right, throughout his entire career Um, to the point where he got tired of it because he was taking less money and they weren't spending the money on the team. They were literally just pocketing this money every year, which that's a topic for a different day. But Randy Moss came in, guys. He didn't have a huge contract. And that's one of the reasons why they traded him back out after that, you know, however many years he was there. It might have been one, it might have been three, I can't remember. But they ended up trading him back away because he started complaining about the contract. So they didn't pay, pay a lot of money for him, right? Um, so what you essentially have with that organization is a very solid roster from top to bottom, right? And what it does is it it just, it, it breeds Competitiveness is exactly what it does. When you get these players, where it's not top-heavy as far as uh, the money that's being made for one or two, you know, specific players, these players all feel equal, and they're all constantly competing with one another to be the starter. And there's no like set, okay, they gave this much money that he's got to be the guy to play, right? Um, so just kind of a different way of, of thinking about stuff. But what we're gonna do to kick this episode off, since it's a defensive line episode. We're going to jump into one of the legends, one of the greats. And this this video is a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. It's going to be about four minutes long. We're going to take a second here and uh, and watch the top 100 greatest players uh, video. He was number seven of all time, uh, to the best of my knowledge. This was six years ago okay, when they did this. And this was uh, the Minister of Defense himself, Reggie White. So let's kind of walk down memory lane and learn about one of, if not the greatest defensive linemen to uh, ever, ever play the game, right? And it just so happens he suited up for our green and gold. So let's check it out.
0: I remember when Steve Young came to San Francisco, uh, he had played against Reggie White in the the old USFL. And uh, you know we'd be looking at film, getting ready to play the Eagles. And he goes, Mike, I got to tell you about this guy. It didn't take me long to figure out if I'm game planning against that defense, I'll take my chances with everybody else. We had to double Reggie White every single snap. Otherwise, he could single-handedly take over the game. One man changed your offensive thinking for the entire game. In eight seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles, Reggie White played in 121 games and recorded 124 sacks. You know, when I'm on the field, I want to do my best to intimidate the guy in front of me. And I want to do my best to have him intimidated before I play him. That means that this week I got to play a good enough game to where he'll look at it next week and say, Oh man, you know, look what he did to him. After the 1992 season, White was a free agent. Mike Holmgren was preparing for his second year as the head coach in Green Bay. When he had an epiphany about the player known as the Minister of Defense. If I don't want to have to stop him, I'll have to sign him. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. You know, Reggie's very devout. He was a Baptist, ordained Baptist minister. So on a whim, I just phoned him up. And I left a message on his answering machine Reggie this is God, I want you to play in Green Bay. And then I hung up the phone. (laughs) Fortunately, he has a great sense of humor and he he recognized it was my voice and and, uh, he came to my office, he goes, in his voice, you go, hey Mike, that was pretty funny, that was good. So uh, we wound up signing him. And at the time, it was a huge signing bonus. And people thought, oh boy, they've really gone and done it. You know, it's too high. But you know what, he was worth every penny and more. His first year with me against Denver, I remember a Monday night game. We needed a sack desperately, and he sacked John Elway. Two sacks in a row right near the end of the game to allow us to win the game. He was special, and he made Sean Jones special. He made Santana Dotson special. Gilbert Brown special. All those big guys that played up front. Someone was going to be singled up because you had Reggie White on your side. We had Favre on the offense, leading the offense, but Reggie was the guy that kind of put it all together for us and and allowed us to get to the Super Bowl. Seizing the stage just as he had against John Elway on Monday night, Reggie White recorded two of his Super Bowl record three sacks on consecutive plays in the second half to help secure a Packer win. win the game and everyone you're in a kind of a fog really but he grabbed that trophy and ran around he knew exactly how he wanted to celebrate it was a beautiful thing to see you know reggie he was a special player one of the greatest players of all time
2: But man, it doesn't get any better than NFL Films. I'm sorry, man. They, they just do everything. First class, love that little little clip of Reggie White. And, and guys, you cannot <clears> – <throat> man, you cannot uh, overstate the impact he had on that Green Bay Packers team. Like, to have a guy in the middle and someone who could play – he could play nose tackle, right? and when you came out in your base let's say you're in a 34 right he could play nose he could he could anchor up in a 0 or a 1 technique and what i mean by that is 0 technique lined up right over the center 1 technique in the a gap on either side right he could he could anchor the front but then what you notice and the thing that they they did especially you know in that playoff run and there in the super bowl you know second uh, Drew Bledsoe, so many times ever when they played the Patriots, was when it came to pass rushing situations, they would slide him out to a five technique and a seven and a wide nine. Like he, they, he would play off the edge. He could do everything. He could anchor the middle for you, and then they, they got so comfortable with him even playing a three and a five tech that they would put Gilbert Brown at nose, the grave digger, right, and then you, it was like you had two just like they said, you're drawing so much attention to Reggie White. Now you've got this huge mountain of a man in Gilbert Brown who would just blast through, uh, you know, the running game there, uh, you know, within the, within the a gap, right. Within that, you know, one to one to zero technique, one to one, whatever you want to call it. So it's something that's lacking right now on the green Bay Packers. Right. And, and I know it's probably unfair to try to compare Kenny Clark to, you know, one of, one of, if not the greatest defensive linemen of all time in, uh, in Reggie White, but you know we talked about Kenny Clark trimming off pounds this offseason. season. We seen him come in like, oh boy, he's trimmed down. Something's going on. They're going to use him on the edge. They're going to use him in more of a, a three and a five tech, right? He's going to be you know more of that kind of sliding outside, not not edge in this in this uh, Joe Berry defense, this Vic Fangio defense. But you know they're looking to slim him down so he can get some some better pass rush opportunities, right? Guys, it backfired. It backfired big time. Um Kenny Clark, the man is an amazing person. I mean he he seems like one of the most humble, hardworking people you ever meet in your life, right? teammates love him. but man, when you're paying 23.9 million dollars against the cap <clears throat> and you get the results you got last year, you know Ryan was talking on his pod just the other day about you know the value of contracts um and you know they've got this conversion tool that they've broken down players and said, okay, per million or whatever, here, here's how much – here's the actual value on the player, right? And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is obviously low this year considering he – you know, last year he got uh, paid $28 million against the cap, right, and um, had a down year. Now, it's been argued at nauseum, you know. Uh, again, when people talk about it and they don't mention the broken thumb, I just – I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's your choice, but every time that you try to talk like he's a bad player, and you don't mention the fact that he had a broken thumb on his throwing hand, it looks a little biased, right? Um, and that's just kind of the way I look. At it. I mean, it would be the equivalent to me talking about Kenny Clark having a down year, and him coming off an ACL, and me not mentioning the ACL at all. Well, Kenny Clark's washed up. We need to get rid of him. It's ridiculous. He, you know, he's overpaid. He, we're not getting the re- the, the return we should get, right? Um, you got to put things in a perspective like that at least you know, I don't say you've got to, but I try to you know I want to really understand okay why why did this go downhill but the thing about Kenny Clark and, and Ryan pointed this out a couple years ago and it was it was hard for me to accept, but that's when I accepted it at that point was he was like, you know Kenny Clark hasn't been elite. like I think he had one year where he was borderline if he was elite and other than that he's he's not been like this big superstar player, right? Now they paid him as such. So when they pay him, I'm immediately thinking, Hey, look, they understand player evaluation better than me. Right. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand, you know, what you're looking for in a player with this system, this scheme fit, this, this organization and, and at the, at the NFL level and pretend like I know more than them, that's silly. Right. But I just remember him specifically talking about that. And ever since then, it's kind of proven true. He has these flashes where he plays great. Right. But You know, you guys know I break the positions down in tiers, and I want to kind of lay the foundation here as we go into breaking down the defensive line room. Um, Tier one on offense is quarterback left tackle. Those are tier one. Those are top priority. You're willing to pay top dollar for those two positions to get the best, one of the best at each of those positions because it is. It's crucial. Now, left tackle, you guys know I'm kind of teetering on sliding it down to tier two, right? Um, I don't feel like it's as important anymore um, because you can get – you can manufacture pressure a multitude of ways now, and and the right tackle can be as much a liability as the left tackle now. It's just in the past you would put your best edge rusher on the backside of the quarterback. Now you see people like T.J. Watt rushing from the front side the majority of the time. Now he can play both sides, but you kind of get my point, right? So quarterback left tackle is Tier 1, center and wide receiver is Tier 2. Last year I just had center as Tier 2. I didn't even have wide receiver as a tier two. Now I have wide receiver as a tier two. Why? Because we've seen just how much of an impact it can have. I mean, this year alone, yes, Aaron Rodgers broke his thumb, but we're missing arguably the best wide receiver in the game in Devontae Adams, and look what happens to the offense, right? goes completely downhill. So I now have wide receiver in tier two. Now, defensive side, this is why I bring this up, tier one edge defender. But, like, it's the most important position on the field is to have a defender that can come off the edge like a T.J. Watt, uh, like a Rashawn Gary, um, you know, name it, Uh, Miles Garrett, whoever you think is the best edge defender. They can really – they can do exactly what they talked about Reggie White doing that they would have to completely build their game plan around stopping this guy, which means sliding protection to his side, which means having a running back chip or a tight end chip on the way out and really help handle one of those edge defenders, right, those edge rushers. When you put Reggie out there on the corner, on the edge, I mean, you've seen it over and over and over. He would just beat people one-on-one like a drum, right? So edge defenders tier one. Tier two, I've got three positions on defense. And you notice there's – you're probably going, well, why do you have more – uh, players on defense at tier two than offense because I personally believe like defense is uh, is more important. If I'm constructing a roster, why do I say that? Because if you've got a a great quarterback, you're going to compete on offense. You know that's the thing that cracks me up about all the Aaron Rodgers banter this year is it, Aaron Rodgers had a down year with a broken thumb, but his receivers also led the league in drops. That's another thing that never gets mentioned when people talk about it. They don't go, yeah, he had it down year, but his wide receivers led the league in drops, right? They were uh, right at, if not the bottom of PFF grades, okay, um, you know, as far as wide receiver grades. And he's playing with a broken thumb, <laughs> right? <laughs> so even with all that, we almost made the playoffs. Even with all that, he was 67% completion percentage before he broke his thumb, two points higher than his career average. He was... He was on pace to have a normal Aaron Rodgers year, maybe not an MVP year, but a top five year. And then the broken thumb comes. Of course, we don't know bro- the bro- the thumb's broke until you know halfway through the season when when Big B broke the story there, right? When he met up with Aaron and got some autographs. <laughs> but so cool how that story unfolded. I, I love Big B. So anyway, that how that happened. Everything unfolded right. That looking back now, hindsight, it's like okay, this this makes sense. His completion percentage dips down to 61%. After the bye, the cast comes off. The thumb is as healthy as it has been uh, since breaking it, not meaning it wasn't completely healthy. He goes right back to 65% completion percentage, which was his career average, right? There's a multitude of reasons that the offense you know, went downhill. It's not, it's not just Aaron. It's not just the receivers. It's not just the offensive line. It's not just the tight ends. It's everything. It was this perfect storm, imperfect storm, I guess you could say, <laughs> That really kind of caused everything to unfold the way they did. So, um, with that being said, on Tier 2 on defense, defensive line, meaning defensive tackle, interior defensive lineman, middle linebacker, and safety are my two tiers. All right? And when I say safety, I'm talking about deep safety. I'm talking about what would technically be called the free safety, the guy that lines up opposite the tight end. You see the majority 11 personnel in the league, one running back, one tight end, meaning there's three wide receivers. Typically, the tight end will line up opposite the slot receiver. If you're coming in a basic doubles look, which there's a lot of different exotic looks in today's NFL. But what you what you're talking about is your strong safety would play a little bit deeper and a uh, little bit uh, shallow in the box. There, maybe spin underneath right with a, with a late rotation cover three look or or even cover four with man principles. And then you have one safety that's going to cover deep. They're kind of protecting against that slot receiver going deep, especially if you're playing a zone defense. They got kind of that that deep third. Right, um, so that's how, that's the safety I'm talking about in tier two. Right, I don't feel like the safety that plays in the box is near as important. Now, some be going, I, I, no, I disagree. Okay, you know, I respectfully disagree with with your assessment of that. You know, one one thing that pops up to me, Jamal Adams, Seattle Seahawks sold the farm, right? Traded a bunch of picks. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a bunch of picks. I think it was a first round pick, if I remember correctly, and then had to pay him, right? And he, all he was, guys, he was was basically a quick linebacker. He was a guy who could play in the box. He was a hard hitter. He could tackle good, but he sucked in coverage, right? This was Jamal Adams. And he was drafted way too high for that type of safety, in my opinion. You know, he was drafted extremely high by the Jets. Didn't work out there. Seattle trades the farm for him. He goes to Seattle, and it didn't work out there, right, even though I'm pretty sure he got paid. So, nonetheless, I don't put value on that. What do I put value on? Those deep safeties. Let me name a few for you. Leroy Butler. Now, Leroy Butler could play in the box, absolutely. And he had great safety play behind him. They were very versatile in the way that they would rotate, right? Because when they wanted to blitz Leroy Butler, he would line up strong safety and fire off the edge, right? But there were so many times you've seen him deep in coverage of patrolling center field. Same thing with Nick Collins. I just uh, tweeted a video. I got a, got a bunch of love, man. Nick Collins, what a, what a great football player. I, no doubt in my mind he would have been a Hall of Famer if he hadn't hurt his neck. But he played that deep safety position, right? He played that that center field role. And I remember being in Lambo for his very first start. Oh my God. It was like, I remember thinking, I can't believe they're putting him out there, but I remember at the time the DBs were so bad. You know, that was right around the time. I don't know if they had drafted him yet or not, but they, you know, they went and took a mod Carroll and they were trying to make that work. And you had Mike McKenzie who was holding out for a contract. He later leaves, right? Uh, you had Al Harris. Um and you were trying to get all this stuff to work, right? DB wise. And I remember they drafted this kid from Bethune-Cookman College, and I was like, who the heck is this, and how is he starting? This defense is that bad. Holy cow. And the very first start of his career, I'm trying to remember who they played. I want to say it was the Browns, but I could be wrong. I was at Lambeau. I was on the Packers, Packers side of the field, but the corner of the end zone, which would have been, if I remember correctly, the north end zone. Yes. Mm, no, the, the south end zone. I was in the south end zone. And I remember the first snap watching him, and I looked at my wife, and I was like, he is the fastest player on the field right now. And he just looked that quick. That was Nick Collins. Again, how did we win that Super Bowl in 2010? I don't think you win it without Nick Collins. That that pick six in the Super Bowl, and he just did that all year long playing stout defense, right? It, so, it sucks so bad seeing him get hurt. Now let's go outside of Green Bay. Who are some of the other great defenses? Baltimore, right? Ed Reed, bang. Deep safety patrolling center field. I mean, it's it just it's just the way it was. Ed Reed was the man, right? You could go on and on talking about safeties. You know, another one that was kind of more of a Leroy Butler type because he would get in there and blitz and he would hit and all that stuff. Not that Ed Reed wouldn't. Ed Reed would take your head off too, but Troy Polamalu. How many times, especially in the Super Bowl, and I know the Packers came out on top, you've seen cover covering the seam, right, when they were trying to run Tampa. And, and you've seen – when I say Tampa, if you guys have watched the NFL Films video, uh, America's Game of the 2010 Packers, if you haven't, go find it on YouTube. It's free to watch. It is unbelievable. Um, but they attacked the center of the field, and you could hear um, Mike McCarthy say, I told you, Tampa. And it's like they were they were trying to attack it as if they were attacking a Tampa 2, meaning you've got to thread the freaking needle down the seam. And uh, Rodgers hit Jennings several times, but who was there to lay the pop? Troy Palamala, right? Because he was patrolling center field. That's why I put that deep safety in that tier two middle linebacker. It makes all the sense in the world for me to be in that tier two, because middle linebacker, you're patrolling the middle of the field. Like you are, you're helping in the run. You're helping in the pass, You're most likely calling plays, um, you know, taking the relaying the message in from the coaches through the headset, you know, green dot duties that they call it. The, the player with the green dot on their helmet. If you, you guys don't know what I'm talking about there, green dot on the helmet, they have the radio in their, in their helmet, right? They're calling in the defensive plays. You know, Quay did that quite a bit when Devondre Campbell was out this year, and that was some great experience for him. Really hope Quay takes the next step. And Devondre Campbell, obviously that defense got better when Devondre Campbell came back because middle linebackers at Tier 2 spot. Defensive line, right? Defensive tackle. When it comes to defensive tackle, playing those is top priority for me. It is the position closest to the football at all times, Right? Closest to the football at all times. And it's so important, so important to have a great nose tackle or interior defensive line. So why do I mention those tier two spots? Because that's our weakest spot on this Packers defense, in my opinion. The weakest spot is defensive tackle. So let's talk about it. Let's break down. The current defensive line room, according to Spotrack, and I don't think there's anybody who slipped through the cracks here. This is the way I've seen the roster too. You've got five defensive linemen coming back. Again, keep in mind, guys, defensive linemen, I'm talking about interior defensive linemen. I'm not talking about edge defenders. This doesn't include, you know, uh, Rashawn Gary and and guys like that. Okay, this is strictly interior defensive linemen, big-body defensive linemen. I think you could get by with five on the roster. I personally would like to carry six, one backup at each base position, right? You got you got your three starting defensive linemen if they come out. If you play somebody like San Francisco and they run a 21 personnel almost 50% of the time, you better have six defensive linemen there on active duty or else those guys are going to get gas. And at times this year, we didn't do that, right? And I think that plays a huge role into how a defense is worn down. I really do. So the five defensive linemen we got, Kenny Clark, Devonte White, uh To Daryl Slut- Slayton. I'm gonna say to Daryl Slayton instead of TJ because that's the name that he's listed as. And it gets so freaking confusing at times. Um Jonathan Ford. Uh that is not Rudy Ford. Rudy Ford's uh, name is also Jonathan Ford, but this is jo- Jonathan Ford, the, the draft pick, the defensive tackle we took, I think, in the seventh round last year. And then you've got Chris Slayton. So we got two Slaytons in the same defensive line room. One's got a Y in their name, the other Dutton. We're gonna try not to get confused. Those are your five defensive linemen. Now, let's talk about cap hit, okay? Um, but you know what? Let's talk about PFF and cap at the same time. I think this would be a good way to kind of encapsulate. Let's look at the defensive line room and see how they performed last year and see if this doesn't trigger a flag in your mind like, oh, this makes sense now while we had a horrible run defense, okay? Kenny Clark, right? $23.9 million against the cap this year, guys. $23.9 million cap hit, okay? His PFF grade last year was 66.4, 66.4 for a $23.9 million cap hit this year. That's assuming that he plays up to that level again at 66.4. Number two, Devontae Wyatt, 69.9 at $2.9 million. So Devontae Wyatt, although he had, you know, uh, much fewer snaps, which I still do not understand, when he was on the field, he looked good. He looked like he belonged. To me, he was right there at that Zach Tom level. Let's get that guy some freaking experience. Why are we taking snaps away from Devontae White? Ryan's talked about it over and over and over, and he's hitting the nail on the head, in my opinion. Not that he needs me to verify anything, but that's exactly what I've seen. It's like, why is this guy not getting snaps? 69.9, guys, he's her highest-graded PFF defensive lineman from last year that's returning on the roster. Think about that. Actually, I think he was the highest regardless last year. That's how bad the defensive line was. And, again, these are overall grades. This isn't pass rush grade. This isn't run defense grade. This is overall grade because both are important. You know, some people go, I don't care about the run. Let's just – let's we, we need to get after the quarterback. Okay. Kenny got after the quarterback a little bit. I think his pass rush grade was 77. I'll double-check it here in a second. But what what was it that killed us against Detroit? Not being able to stop the run. What was it that killed us all year long? When you look at the weak spot on this defense, it was stopping the run, right? And I do think there's a little bit of what Greg Cosell said, that defensive coordinators across the league, what they're doing is they're they're kind of allowing teams to run a little bit more and making sure they stop the pass as a top priority. But, man, when your offense can't produce the way ours didn't, come on, dude. You, you better be able to stop that run. Or they're going to do exactly what the Jets did, right? Just literally pound you into oblivion. They said we were just going to lean on them because we we knew that we we knew if we drug them out in the middle of the pool they couldn't swim. That's I mean it's literally what they said about our team. What do they mean by that? If we just press on them and we lean on them just a bit, we could pound the ball down their freaking throat and they can't do nothing about it. That's a problem. That's a real problem. And I'm sorry, PFF is not looking at grading these players and going okay, but if this is the Joe Barry scheme. Forget Joe Barry for a minute. Just look at player grades, right? You're paying a guy twenty three point nine million dollars per year, and his PFF grade comes out to a sixty six point four. But it's the defensive coordinator's fault. But that doesn't make sense. When I told you, when I showed you Jair Jai Alexander completely blowing coverages, other players completely blowing coverages. When you see. Eric Stokes and man-to-man coverage early in the year, and he doesn't even have the awareness to turn around and find the ball. He's just kind of running. What the and it wasn't even a late hands catch. The player literally got his hands up. He's looking at him. It's like, you know, the ball's on the way. Why are you just kind of standing there? That has nothing to do with Joe Barry. I'm sorry. Um, that's just the way I see it. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong. i just I don't understand the thought process of seeing a player blatantly screw up an assignment and you could tell what the assignment was you can tell from their reaction they just got greedy and as coach Han referred to it as you know quote unquote hero ball we talk about aaron Rodgers playing hero ball all the time Jair alexander sits on a underneath route knowing his top uh responsibility was deep third down the left sideline and it's oh, he's just trying to make a play okay gotcha that, i'm sorry that's why this defense sucked now if you want to say that that's the coaching aspect and you know joe barry didn't do a good enough job of Quote unquote coaching them up. Okay, you can say that. But again, Jair Alexander, the highest paid corner in the game. A coach has got to tell him, stick to your responsibilities. Kenny Clark, $23.9 million cap hit in the middle. A coach has got to tell him, hey, make sure you play the run here. Come on, dude. Like at some point, it's got to fall on the players too. And I think it's, I think it's everything. I think everybody's, there's plenty of blame to go around, but man, come on. So, that's how it sits. Devontae Wyatt 69.9. Next is uh, Daryl Slayton at 61.7. And then you've got Jonathan Ford and Chris Slayton didn't even have grades. They didn't play significant snaps, if any, at all. According to PFF, I'm not going to dig into all the details, but it sounds like they didn't even get significant snaps to even get a grade. So with that being said, Kenny Clark, 66.4, $23.9 million cap hit, grossly overpaid for that performance. Not saying he couldn't rebound this year. Hope he does. Devontae White, this that sounds exactly like what I said about Darnell Savage last year. And it, it, whew, it really scares me because say, man, I hope he rebounds next year, but it's looking like this is who he is, right? If this happens again with Kenny Clark next year and we got $23.9 million against cap, good luck, right? Devontae White, at 69.9 at 2.9 million, 61.7 for Daryl to Daryl Slayton. Uh, at 1 million flat, and then Jonathan Ford, 895,000, Chris Slayton, 750K. So technically you've got a full defensive line room there, five defenders, right, five people coming back, and you're set. Now, that doesn't mean that's the defensive line we're going with. That's the minimal. Okay, this is how it sits. This is what we're looking to do, okay? Like our room is set. We can go on the field with this if we want to, but we know we have to upgrade it, and more specifically, defensive tackle. That that interior closest player to the ball, right? When the ball is snapped, that's why centers and defensive tackles, in my opinion, are tier two, uh, you know, uh, importance on a football team. They touch the ball. The center touches the ball every single play. Only he and the quarterback touch the ball every single play. And in some cases, the quarterback don't even touch the ball every single play because somebody might run a wildcat. It might be a direct snap. It might be, you know, whatever it may be, you know, an end around direct snap that way. Um, but the center is always touching the ball. The defensive tackle is – he's literally lining up, and in most cases his head is within inches of the football before it's snapped. that I mean, it's get ball – it's see ball, get ball, period. That's the name of the game, right? So you need your best player playing closest to the ball at all times. Middle linebacker tier two, because the same thing with the deep safety tier two athlete position – because you're using the boundaries as that extra defender at three levels. You want your strength of your defense to be right down between those hashes. That's just the way I look at it, okay? So, with that being said, let's look at Kenny Clark's contract here. Let's kind of let's kind of dive into. Well, you know what? Let's let's do this. Let's break down Kenny Clark's PFF and say, okay, what did he do good? What did he do bad? Let's let's get into here. Overall 66.4. His pass rush was 76.3. I was close with that 77 prediction. Guys, his run defense grade was 53.0. That is horrible. I mean, that is that is horrible. And, you know, if you want to say his coaches told him, hey, don't worry about the run and just play the pass, I mean, I respectfully disagree that that's what their game plan was, you know. Um, but, man, that's, uh, that's so bad. Solo tackles, he's tied for 26 with 31. Okay, sacks. You know, here's what's crazy. Everybody talks about, you know, yeah, but he's, a, he's man, his pass rush is great. And he and there was times he had an elite pass rush grade, I think on three different occasions last year, if I remember right. Let me uh, double check here. Let's see, pass rush. Um, I thought I had it pulled up. Let me see. Yeah, right here. Okay. So, pass rush grade week one, 90.6. I'm just going to go down each week, 90.6, 90.5. Whew, we're looking good, right? 78.7. 75, 76, 70, 48, 58, 54, 53, 51, 56, 59, 62, 91.2, 70.5. Guys, there was a stretch there where one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, his pass rush grade was below 70, in some cases below 60 in an eight game span. Well, how was his run defense? You don't want to know, 40.5, 29.9 against Detroit. You want to know why Detroit was able to run the freaking football on us, especially in that first matchup? 29.9. Guys, his PFF grade was a 32.8 that game. And you've seen it on tape. When you watch tape, you're not like, man, he don't, he's, he doesn't look like a bully in the middle. He doesn't. So let's talk about his contract for a second, Okay. This is ugly. This is really really ugly. For everybody wants to talk about the Aaron Rodgers contract and not mention the Kenny Clark one is like holy cow. Um he's 28 years old. This year's cap hit is 23.9 million against the cap we talked about that. His dead cap number is 20.8. What does that mean? If you were to cut him this year, okay? You're only going to free up roughly 3 million dollars. Okay? So you got to keep him on the roster in my opinion. If you're only going to free up $3 million, what can you get for $3 million, right? It's going to be more damage than good. Here's the question you got to ask yourself. Is it worth tacking more money onto the future to be able to free up money on his behalf? What does that mean? What am I asking here? The real question is, do you want him on the roster in 2024, right? Because if you do, then the answer is yes. If not, you leave his contract alone and – you look at cutting ties next year if his play declined again this year. As bad as I hate to say it, it's a boring topic. And it's one that I I'm one that I want answers right now, right? I want to fix the problem right now. But the problem with Gary's or with uh with um Kenny's contract is probably not going to happen this year. Because if you cut ties with him, you're only freeing up three million. Next year's cap hit number is 24.7, so it goes up by almost a million, right? But his day cap number at that point is 13.1. Now, keep in mind, there's already two voidable years on his deal for 2025 and 2026. He's not on the roster. His cap hit for 25 is 5.4 million. His cap hit for 26 is 2.7 million. Not really concerned about the 2.7, but that 5.4 looming there in 2025 is like, man, if we restructure his contract this year, right and push money into next year and then we decide okay we've got to cut ties next year now you're probably going to bump that up to you know a 10 million dollar cap hit in 2025 so what is their capabilities of of restructuring his deal right that's the question his cap hit for this year is 23.9 for next year it's 24.7 dead cap this year is 20.8 dead cap for next year is 13.1 so when it comes to restructure in 2023 the way it's structured is he has 13 million in base salary, and he has 2.5 in roster bonus. Five million is guaranteed through signing bonus, and he has the 2.7 in restructure. That's what makes the cap hit total out to 23.9. So, base salary, you guys know, if you haven't listened to my pod in the past, you can take base salary and roster bonus. Okay, roster bonuses due week one, meaning they made the roster. Okay, bang, they get paid this money. Base salary is their check broken up into 17 weeks but you can take those two numbers, the 2.5 roster bonus, the 13 million base, uh, base salary, and you can convert that to signing bonus, which makes it guaranteed money for the player, and then you can spread that out over a multitude of years. You've already got the structure in place where you've got this year, 2024, 25, and 26 from the two voidable years, even though he's not on the roster starting in 25. So what you could do is convert up to a maximum and it's really not, this ain't the maximum. I'm just giving you the total number between roster bonus and base salary. You've got to keep a minimum uh, standard there to a certain extent, but you've got 15.5 million in restructure possibility be- between those two numbers. Now I'm not suggesting we do that, right? If you're going to restructure his deal, I think a reasonable number would be 7 million. Okay. What do I mean by that? You would take, Let's say you just take 7 million of his base salary. Don't even touch the roster bonus. Just take it all out of base salary, the 13 million. Okay. You would take 13, shave off seven off of that, right? Which would take you down to six million dollar base salary. And then you could take that seven million, spread it out over 2025 and 2026, meaning three and a half per year. Okay. So now his cap hit number in 2025 becomes 8.4 uh, or actually nine million and he's not even on the roster. And in 2026, it would jump up to about six million and he's not even on the roster. So that's what you could do to free up seven million. And I think seven is the most I would personally want to uh, restructure if they go that route. Now, Joe Barry may look at Kenny Clark totally different. There may be something there that they asked Kenny to do this year it didn't work out and they go back to the old way and hopefully get him to, you know, kind of get closer to that one or two years that he had really good years, right? That could happen. I don't know. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I'm just giving you the numbers and my opinion on how I see it. I'm not saying I understand or know more than them. With that being said, the most sensible restructures that we've talked about so far, and this is how the defensive line room, you know, kind of comes into play here. Remember, we talked about Aaron Jones, $8 million. I'm all for that restructure. If he's not willing to renegotiate, I think Aaron Jones is top priority. You can restructure and free up $8 million. Bakhtiari is regained his old form. He's healthy now. If he doesn't want to renegotiate and, and trim off some money and, and do a, a cat-friendly deal or a team-friendly deal, then you can restructure and free up $10 million there. With Kenny Clark, I would not break the $7 million mark. Why do I mention that? Because if you look at the number that we save now, or potentially save, Aaron Jones, $8 million, Bakhtiari, $10 million, Kenny Clark, $7 million. You're now up to, what, 25 million dollars that you can free up in the cap right now we're roughly 17 million over the cap okay so if you go 25 obviously take that away you're going to be sitting anywhere from you know five to ten million dollar in the plus uh, money you could spend in free agency if you renegotiate all three of those contracts what I would like to see happen is do Aaron Jones and Bakhtiari up to this point we're going to continue to do position groups give people a little bit better idea of where we sit but I would not touch Kenny Clarks. I would see how he performs this year. And uh, and then next year, you know, he's going to be 29 years old. If he comes out this year and you don't touch this contract, right, and you come out this year and he flops again, then you could cut ties with him next year and free up $11 million in cap hit. There's going to be penalty involved. Absolutely, right? There always is when it comes to cutting players loose. There's never a scenario. That's what cracks me up is the cap gurus act like there's scenarios. Well, this team didn't pay any cap penalty whatsoever. That's BS. Go look at everybody's cap. Yes, there are teams that are in better positions. Absolutely. But to sit here and pretend like, uh, you know, there's players on the roster where they have no cap hit, it's just, it cracks me up. Especially when I say, you know, players on the roster with no cap hit, no dead cap. I'm talking about those top tier players, players that you expected to be the anchor of your team. Guys, this is on Goody. I'm a Goody fan. You guys know I defend him in the floor, but. Everybody's so caught up in the back-to-back MVP Aaron Rodgers' contract, right? And and you know, obviously this year the down year and all that stuff, right? They're so caught up in that. But we just we look at a Kenny Clark and we do. It's oh well, that's no, Kenny Clark. He's a great player. Is he? Like, what have we gotten of lately, right? That's a that's that's bad on Goody. So how do you fix it? You got to go out. And you've got to bolster this defensive line room. How do you do that? You know, there's a chance we bring back Jaron Reed, but Jaron Reed's PFF grade finish at a 71. He's nothing to write home about, right? So how do you bolster it? Well, if you go in and any any uh, money you free up, middle linebacker, again, let's go back to tiers, okay? We're looking at quarterback and left tackle. We're set there. I know everybody wants to run. Not everybody. I know a small amount of Packer fans want to run Aaron Rodgers out of town. I got you. But as it sits right now, we're good. I hope Jordan Love is that. I hope when when we do move on to Jordan Love, I hope he is a real freaking deal. I really do. Because if so, then great. We keep those two boxes checked for the time being, right? Quarterback and left tackle. Um, on defense, you've got your tier one edge, right? You're good there. But then when you get to tier two, it's defensive line, middle linebacker, and safety. You want to know why the defense is bad, guys? This is it. Your defensive line sucked. Your middle linebacker spot was pretty solid there with Devondre Campbell. When he got healthy and came back, we're good there. And hopefully Quay continues to get better. I know everybody's raving over his statistics and how many tackles he got in that, and I love it, man. More tackles are better than less. I got it. But the PFF grade suggests he didn't play that great, right? And I and I hope he does. I hope he. Uh, I hope he turns it around. I hope he becomes the next Devondre Campbell there at middle linebacker. But the way it sits right now, Devondre Campbell in the middle, I'm good with that. What's the other one? Safety. So your defensive line and your safety, your defensive tackle and your deep safety are bad. It's that simple. Rudy Ford played way better than we thought, but it took a while to go to Rudy Ford. You guys know that. He didn't start all year. Adrian Amos had a horrible year. Our two top priorities on that defense, if we want to fix a defense, is defensive tackle and safety. How do we get there? That's the question. You now have Rudy Ford that you could re-sign for pennies on the dollar, I feel like. I think you've got to bring back Rudy Ford. You've got Hillman Savage on the roster as your base, as your basement, right? And we I know this isn't a safety episode. This is defensive line. I'm just talking about how we can patch this together. Rudy Ford needs to be a top priority. You guys know I had him in my tier one. and Keyshawn Nixon, we've got to bring those guys back. That will somewhat stabilize that deep safety position, and we got to fix defensive line. Now, I think the most logical answer is make sure Devontae Wyatt's butt is on the field, and let's see exactly what we've got there. But you've still still got room to bring in another defensive lineman. That should be one of the top priorities. So, so far, what do we see on defense that's a priority, in my opinion, this offseason? Safety and defensive tackle. Now you can start building your draft board, right? So, again, when it comes to Kenny Clark's contract, the main thing that I wanted to point out is I don't think I would want to restructure his deal. I think you let him play this out this year. You're going to absorb that 23.9 cap hit, and next year you can really free up some money. And what you do next year, guys, is you go to him with a quote-unquote restructure but also a renegotiation and say, hey, man, look, you had another down year. You're 24.7 against the cap. Would you be willing to renegotiate your contract? Here's what we can do: if you will cut your base salary in half to a seven point five, right? Go from fifth. This is in 2024. Go from 15.5 to seven. Let's just call it seven, even, right? If you'll if you'll give that discount of over seven million dollars to us, what we'll do is take, um, you know, three of that seven and guarantee it in signing bonus so it gives him a little stability. And if he says no, I'm not doing that. Okay, here's the other option. We're cutting you. We're cutting you, and the only thing you're guaranteed is the 5 million signing bonus and your restructure bonus of 2.7. So he would make 7.7 and hit the market. So you've got to ask him, "All right, we can trim this down from uh from $24.7 million cap hit, and you'll actually go down and make let's say 17 million this year." It's either make 17 million with renegotiation or come out with 7 million and hit the open market. Somebody may pay him. I can see how that could go either way. Kenny may be the type of guy go, all right, let's do it. Give me that guaranteed money. I'll take the pay cut. He also might be the guy that, man, I'll hit free agency and make that money right back. And that's probably true. Somebody probably will pay him because they had him high on his, on their draft board and they seen what he was capable of doing in different types of defenses. Right? So just wanted to point that out. I think, If it were me, and I'm not saying they'll do this, I would leave his contract alone in 2023 and try to save money somewhere else. That way you don't kick the can on down the road anymore for a player that's underperforming. But isn't it amazing? Nobody's talking about this. Guys, 66.4 PFF grade. Aaron Rodgers was a 77, and everybody wants to run him out of town. Like I don't know, man. (laughs) And again, once again, PFF, the more that I watch tape, I see where their grades are going. Like, I, I I, don't come away and go, boy, they really screwed that up. I look at the tape and go, man, that's. Yeah, I might be off here or there, or I might disagree here or there, which means I might be off. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know more than them. They get a lot more eyeballs on the tape than me, right, and just my two. Um, but that's kind of how I look at that, you know, going in. So that's where we're going to leave it, guys. Um, hopefully this shed a little bit more light on defensive line. I feel like – we need to go out and try to find a starting caliber defensive lineman, guys. That may be in the draft. I know everybody. I've got this big draft crush on on Michael Mayer, and I'm talking about how tight end is a huge priority, right? You know, it's funny that you know this tier two aspect. I'm borderline ready to slide tight end up into tier two, simply because look at the teams that have had a lot of success this year. They've had great tight ends. You know, look at Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, Dallas Goddard in Philly, right? You've got two great tight ends that are on the two Super Bowl teams. That's not a coincidence. San Francisco, Kittle, on down the line, man. You could go on and on and on. Even in Cincy with Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst was a solid tight end. Some people go, oh, he's not. He's not a great tight end. I would agree. I don't think he's great, but he's way better than what we've got on our roster, right? Or are we not utilizing him correct? That's the question. So, all that stuff comes into play. But, again, when it comes to defense – Safety and defensive tackle, hands down, are top priorities for me. I know a lot of people are having these draft crushes on on edge defenders because Rashawn Gary is going to be out half the year. Man, I don't know, dude. Um, you don't want to invest, in my opinion. I mean, I guess if you do, the 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 great thing is you would have two elite. Possibly the goal would be with a 15th overall pick to get another an elite rusher in a Rashawn Gary. But just keep in mind how long it took for Rashawn Gary to develop. You're not going to cash in on that return right now. Right. You may be able to go out there and get uh the best safety in the draft at 15, one of the best defensive lineman, defensive tackle, interior defensive lineman, at number 15, you know? Um, so again, safety and D tackle on defense is what's really standing out to me. And the numbers kind of match up too. The good thing is Devontae White, if you give him more snaps and he turns out to be the real deal, he's 2.9 million against the cap this year. He's selling that rookie deal for four for uh two more years after next year or after this season, right? and you've got a fifth-year option capability that can make it a little bit more maneuverable like we used it on Rashawn Gary to bridge the gap. You guys know I'm not a huge fan of the fifth-year option. I kind of feel like you're better off. If you know that's the guy, then renegotiate. I think that um, it it comes in handy for Rashawn Gary because it just gives you a little more time to renegotiate that contract and get them the extension, but it also gives you just an extra year for somebody like Savage to see if they can go out and and rebound and perform, right, which – I mean, you guys know how I feel on that. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm going to leave it there, guys. Appreciate y'all taking the time to hang out with us. Um, What we're going to do is continue to move through these position groups um, and kind of lay out the cap ramifications. The goal, the overall goal is we know restructures are coming quick, right? Probably going to start as early as mid-February. Okay. now I'm going to be out of the country starting on the 12th, so I may not be able to do a podcast for a week. Um, if I do, I'm going to continue to do these positions because we're just kind of we're, we're going through all of the contracts, all the salary cap, ram, cap ramifications, and we're looking at what players it's possible to restructure because that stuff's going to happen real quick here in February. I really believe that all of it hinges on Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers retires and Jordan Love takes over, you got Danny Ettling as your backup quarterback. Um, I think what's going to probably happen is you're not going to restructure many contracts and they're going to roll with the roster they got. And kind of look at next year as okay, let's see what we have here. We're not kicking any more money down the road right now, and then bang, next year you got a ton of money you could free up. Now you're saying, well, we're 18 million over the cap, right? But if Aaron Rodgers retires, we free up roughly 16 million, so we're right there in the ballpark already. Okay, so that's kind of how that's going to lay out. So um, we'll get you another position group here probably Thursday. Um, we're going to stick on defense. We just went through the offensive side and kind of looked at stuff. I didn't do wide receiver simply because there's not many – there's really nothing there that we can work with to to rework because everybody's so young. And, and we've got, I think, the, I think, the fifth cheapest wide receiver room in the entire league. So there's not much there. Um, so what we're going to do is move on to either edge or linebacker and see what we can do with Devondre Campbells. Uh, contract, or uh, or maybe somebody there on the edge as well, you know. Which Preston Smith is when it comes to mind. I'd have to look at it. I don't know if there's anything we can do this year, but we might couple those up together. All the linebacking group, and out uh, both edge defender and inside linebacker, and see if there's any money there to be had. So, with that being said, we're gonna get out of here. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us as always. Let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go, Pat, go.
0: On the fake rogers lets it fly
1: has watson he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown
0: that might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career for christian watson you can see him it's just press man they talk about his speed his ability to get behind the defense it's just a matter of can he catch it that's a great job tracking the ball He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.